poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Hello there, boys and girls. Welcome to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today's guest is a future Poker Hall of Famer who sadly missed being inducted last year due to the WSOP shrinking their class by one member, an executive tour director for the World Poker Tour, the one and only Matt Savage. Matt's career in the world of poker has now spanned 30 years, which as someone who feels like a dinosaur because of their 17-year poker career, has to make Matt feel like something that's even older than a dinosaur, and I don't even know what that would be because no one does. Suffice to say though, since Matt's freshman poker year in 1991, the landscape around the game has changed dramatically, and in today's episode, Matt's going to wax nostalgic on how the poker world of yesteryear compares to poker in the year 2021. In today's very special Round 3 episode with Matt Savage, you're also going to learn Matt's thoughts on vaccination requirements to play major poker events, our thoughts on how to make poker more fun, how Matt and I feel about the future of online poker and whether or not it's possible to police the games, and much, much more. Now, without any further ado, I bring to you the man who ran the Moneymaker WSOP main event, the founder of the Tournament Directors Association, an executive tour director for the World Poker Tour, good friend of the CPG podcast, the great Matt Savage. Mr. Savage, welcome back. To round three, sir. How you doing? I'm great. Good to be back. Uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, I think the, the last time was around when Mike Sexton passed, and that was like a year or so ago? Yeah, just about a year ago. Yeah, we did that seven-hour YouTube uh, memorial to him. That was a, a long a long night, and uh, but heard a lot of good stories and things like that. We still miss Mike on the World Poker Tour. Uh, you know, we're doing a lot of things. Uh, upcoming to uh, memorialize him and and hopefully keep his name uh, present in the poker world. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a name that like deserves to be present um, on an ongoing basis. And I can't believe it's been a year. Like, man, it feels like it, this was just like last week or something. The time is just flying by. Yeah, it is. I mean, I said that when we were locked down the first time. It just seemed like every day. Uh, you know, you get up in the morning and next thing you know, you're going to bed and it was weeks were flying by and it's, uh, it's happening again, unfortunately. <laughs> well, <laughs> speaking of happening again, like what's going on with the WPT? I know you're running these like giant cash games on yes. YouTube, which yeah. that seems to be a good move because like yeah. the viewer, viewership of those seem to be like through the freaking roof. So these yeah. cash games, what else is going on with WPT? Yeah, we got some uh, more cash games coming up later. Matter of fact, I'd love for you to come out and play. I think it would be great to get you out of the house in Atlanta, get out, <laughs> out to Las Vegas. And, uh, uh, you know, we're doing a lot of those things because we have to fill some spots on, uh, you know, our, our network. We have a contract with them. So putting those things on and, you know, while we're trying to debate on our schedule and, and how we're going to go forward with some of our events, we've recently had a couple of events canceled, Maryland canceled, and so did Jacksonville due to COVID restrictions. So, it's been unfortunate, uh, you know, I wish that we could uh, get to a place where we didn't have to do that. Um, but at the same time, I think that, uh, you know, us moving forward with our new ownership and things like that, we're going to be, uh, we have an exciting future ahead. Uh, just got to get through this point uh, in time, that's for sure. You mentioned own- new ownership. Tell me about that. Like, I'm sadly oblivious. When did, <laughs> when did ownership change? Well, it did just change, but uh, I don't really know all this, this full story yet. So it's, it's to be determined. We got a lot oh, of wow. press releases coming up soon. Um, but yes, okay. we have, we do have new owners on the world poker tour. Yeah. So I'm not, I, I shouldn't feel ashamed that I don't know because nobody, no, really, nobody really yeah. knows. Nobody really knows as of yet, but it's coming up soon. Awesome. Um, and when you mean fill content, I assume like you have that this is going on like travel channel or wherever it's broadcasted. 
Yeah, we were on Fox Sports Net. So yes, we've been there and they've been a great partner of ours for a long time. But yes, we <laughs> yeah, uh, see, definitely need to do it. See, see what channel. I, yeah, I, there this, you go. <laughs> this, that was me being shamefully ignorant. Um, <laughs> I haven't had cable in like the last 10 or 15 years. And I all like right. the travel channel was where the WPT was like in my heart. That's where it all started <laughs> for me. That is where it all started. Yep. Steve Lipscomb many, many years ago. And uh, yeah, we're coming up on our 20th anniversary uh, next year. So we're excited about that. And you, you mentioned, so let's talk about poker and COVID specifically and canceling these events. What do you foresee happening like moving forward right now? I mean, I know like WSOP is like, hell bent on throwing down with their festival like what do you think is going to happen uh, i think it's going to happen i i really do believe that uh, you know people are we're going to be going back to, in some respects to like the masking maybe some plexiglass i don't think the world series will have plexiglass but you know i think the next step may be uh you know vaccination cards and things like that which could be a problematic in its own way i do know that the, you know there's fake cards out there and the way that it was done in the United States originally wasn't quite like I'd like to have seen it done. You know, other countries have QR codes and things that you can scan and things like this, but we basically just made these little, uh, you know, uh, business cards and put a couple of initials on it. Not very hard to, uh, to bluff that one when you're trying to show it to people. Yeah. Not, not such a great plan. I mean, you know, in the poker space, like we're very familiar with like crypto and blockchain and like something feels like that that would be a better path than just like a random <laughs> paper card <laughs> yeah for sure but i think that you know the fact that they wanted to roll it out and get it out as soon as possible i think that had a lot to do with that so sure you know hopefully that didn't uh restrict us i know that we did get to a place pretty early uh compared to the rest of the world where we wanted to be but uh, just couldn't get over that line to to make it uh, happen for everybody so hopefully uh, we can do that in the future yeah. And as it relates to like the logistics, I mean, I was talking to my wife about this, like how on earth thinking of the scope of planning, like a nationwide vaccine distribution program and like all the, like, I can't even imagine all the logistics that went into it and using like people that I assume were like out of work or needed temporary work. So like, yeah, it was, uh, the vaccine rollout, I'm I'm just I'm very impressed that like it went as smoothly as it did because <laughs> that's a challenge that like man it's hard for me to even like visualize in my mind how difficult it must have been. Yeah, they use the military here in uh, Las Vegas. Basically, you know, got it done pretty quick. There was days early on where they were available to anybody, so you know that was a good part about being here. And uh, you know, like we said, we encourage everybody to go get that done just because I think it's going to make this a uh, get done a little bit faster, which I hope it will. Yeah. Um, as it relates to WPT, you know, do y'all have any policy as it relates to like vaccinations? What, what are y'all's plans? No, we don't have any policy specific because we are basically at the control of our, our partner casinos. Uh, you know, the decisions that are made uh, to postpone those events that we've had postponed were done by the casino and our casino partners. And, okay. you know, we, we truly respect what they, their wishes. I mean, uh, if they feel like it's an issue that uh, will be a negative for them, uh, we are fully behind that and support that. So, you know, we have to do that. We've always had to do that. Uh, the casinos run the events and uh, we basically come in and, and try and uh, work with them to make it uh, be successful and promote it as much as possible. But at the same time, it is their event. So we have to go with their policies and their regulations. Yeah, they, they make the rules. Yep. So that's an easy, easy answer. So basically, you know, you, we, you're just at the mercy of <laughs> what the casino decides to do. Correct. Um, you sent me some talking points since you've been on the show multiple times now, and I, I was worried about finding things to talk about. Um, one, of the, one of the talking points you sent me was how to make poker more fun, first of all. Yeah. Like, tell me, how do we do this? I mean, what are you thinking here when you ask that question? What do you have in mind? What do you, yeah, what, what are you thinking? Well, it's a little bit of a conflict with what you do, Brad, because, you know, one of the things I think that people are getting too good at the game. So how... In your, you know, let me ask you a question. How do you teach people that you're trying to make better, make money, be professional, that type of thing, uh, to keep it fun? Do you train them to how to treat other people at the table? I know that you spent a lot of time at commerce and the cash games, and I know that you were good with, you know, new players to the game, but not everybody has that skill. Um, and I've, I've heard some of your other guests talk about that as well, uh, being skillful at being able to, to meet new people, to invite them to the game, to, you know, not try and 
you know, destroy their ego so they don't feel afraid to come back and play again. I think, I think the, the first part of this equation is having self-responsibility and accountability with yourself. Because like the thing is, is that being shitty to people is like, there's the downside is that like obvious there's, there's no like obvious downside for people to just like mouth off and be crappy to other people. And so like, when you don't have that in place, people are just going to, they're going to push it. You know, poker is a very emotional game. So I think that like having personal responsibility and accountability to care about the longevity of the game, quite frankly, like I, my guys are, Anybody that comes to me to talk about live poker and navigating it is like, don't be patronizing, engage people with curiosity and treat them with respect. Because like, especially if somebody's like, if somebody's a, a fish that's playing like 2550, right? Like they're going to have, be a very successful person in the world. They're going to be very interesting. And so like, I've just found that engaging those folks curiously, asking them questions about themselves and what they do. I mean, you know, I have a podcast where I get to do this. So it's obviously a thing I enjoy doing, learning about my fellow man, but like, don't be patronizing. Don't like pet people. Don't like, you know, be just so overtly, um, uh, it, it, that that's another thing that drives me crazy. Like when it's just, it's forced and fake and you can tell it like in the person that's on the receiving end of it can tell it that doesn't make things any better. Just like, I don't know, man, be a cool person and have responsibility that like, as long as you're uncool, as long as you're driving people away from this game, like that's fewer people that you get to play against. That's fewer people that want to come back and play poker because like they can go have fun playing craps or, you know, playing a slot machine or just gambling, going to a show, right? Like they can spend their money elsewhere. Why are they going to spend it playing cards? Well, hopefully it's a fun, enjoyable experience and the responsibility rests on the higher level players to facilitate that. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, those guys, the businessmen that you played with for years and years, you know, they're smart. They didn't, uh, you know, they made money because they knew what they were doing. So uh, to get that patronizing attitude towards them, I think they pick up on it pretty quickly. And uh, it's it's not, it's just not smart. And it's not smart for you to do. And if that's going to be your profession to be a professional poker player, you have to be able to change that, I think. Yeah, and like... I saw this very obviously, like when I was friends with Max, he owned BCBG, he passed yeah. away in the last few years, but he's like a pretty much legendary commerce whale. He was very yeah. bad at poker. Um, but me and Max became friends. Like I flew in his private jet. I uh, wrote a story about the time that I got banned from commerce for life, um, which involved a, just it involved a situation where like I was roommates with Max's mistress. It was a very strange <laughs> situation, but by and large, like it just happened. We were playing poker against each other. He's played poker against thousands of people. And it just all came by me just being nice to him and asking him questions and just like being friendly, right? Mm -hmm. And Max is a, he, or he was a world-class bullshit detector because like he's a world-class bullshitter, right? Like he's made <laughs> billions of dollars. He sees it. He's got lots of subordinates, thousands of employees worldwide. His company owns seven jets. Like he knows how to spot bullshit. And so like, you can't, you, you can't pet Max. You, you couldn't be fake and get away with it. Like he's going to see right through it. And, and like, that's how a lot of these folks operate because like in the world, I think that somebody like Max, people want something from him. Everybody wants something from Max. Yeah. Like they either want him to play more poker, they want him to, they want a job, they want him to be involved in their business, they want investment. Like everybody wants something, and I think that like another part of it for me was I just made a conscious decision that like I'm never going to ask Max for anything ever. Like not right. one thing. I'm never asking him for anything um, because that was something that I felt he would value. Because like it's hard to, I guess when you're at that level, it's hard to find people that like you for you, authentically. And, you know, I think that that was, again, it's like, it's a billionaire problem, but like he struggled with feeling lonely most of the time because he yeah. just didn't know who to trust. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he played some of the tournaments up there at commerce when you were downstairs, I was upstairs and yeah, he, you know, he had his assistant with him most of the time and uh, it was, yeah, it was interesting yeah. to have him in those his assistant. You could definitely see that. Yes. His assistant. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that was my roommate, his assistant. Oh, really? I, <laughs> Probably. Forgot, her, I forgot her name, but uh, yes, yeah. Yasmin. Yeah, I mean, there it is. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, go ahead. I interrupted you. No, no, it's all good. So, yeah, I, I think that's just another part of the game. And I think that, you know, I think if we just tap into the other half 
of our world, which is women in the game, I think that that really will go a long way. And there's just so much BS that goes on, you know, with when a new woman comes to the table, uh, it's it's unfortunate. And I think if you see some of the stuff that's going around around the world and globally, there's definitely a bigger percentage of women poker players than there are in the United States. And I'm not really sure why that is. I really am not. Well, I think there are lots of, comp- I don't think it's like a simple problem to solve. You know, I think looking at my podcast numbers, right? Like I know that demographically, my podcast has a major drop off when between like the um, 25 and 45 age bracket for women specifically, it's like 11% women before then. And then like 3% all the way through and jumps back up to like 15% after 45. And my assumption there is that that's like child raising years where they're just like having a family and raising children. And then at 45, you know, their kids go off to college and then they're able to have more free time. And so I think that's probably a large component. You know, it's hard to, it's hard for, a mom to invest 12 hours of her day playing in a poker tournament like that it's just hard to logistically arrange unfortunately because like the men's side of it tend to find 12 hours to go play right. poker. that's true and uh yeah i see it around here my wife marianne she's uh you know obviously a great mom so it's it makes it tough it makes it tough when she wants to do something and you know i'm out playing golf or you know and she's got to be uh taking my son to school. So I try and do the best that I can for, to give her all the free time that she wants. And uh, I think that, you know, more men need to do that with their, uh, with their spouses for sure. And you mentioned that like, I tend to be pretty jovial at the poker table, but I, I can be confrontational as well. And that's the button that gets pressed for me is like when somebody starts talking down to another player who like thinks that they're playing at a high level or just for whatever reason, they just talk shit. And especially if it's a woman, like that's like, that's my button. And I will just start attacking. Like, I mean, not like (laughs) yelling or screaming, but it's like anything, like I will just try to find anywhere that I can poke them because like it annoys me to no end when people start belittling, belittling other people or making the experience worse, especially for women, just because it's a demographic that like is so underrepresented in poker that like, why are we trying to drive the ones that are deciding to sit down and play cards? Like, why, why do we want to drive them away? No, we want them to have a good time. So they tell their friends so that, you know, this is how, this is how the growth happens. Yeah. We had a a women's summit for the uh, world poker tour and it's very well attended and you know all these topics were brought up but uh, at the same time i think that a lot of those women are the ones that have been around the game for a long time uh, you played with the women at the commerce they were tougher than the men to be honest if you if you remember some of the women that played in that room every day uh yeah they were some of the tough ones as well but i just think it's a it's a whole new untapped market that's still out there and i really believe that at some point we're going to get there and i, I hope it's after I hope COVID so. comes out. i really do too i just think it's you know sometimes I think that uh, the mixed games draw a little more higher percentage of women to play, uh, and it's a little more social. So uh, it's one of those things I always try and push is to, to do have more mixed games and things like that. But I know that it's not the most popular game. It's not the most uh, money-making game for the casinos. So it, it makes it tougher uh, when you're trying to push those things. Yeah, it's like a give and take, right? Like we need, yeah. we have to give up some EV to make sure that like the game stays healthy and people have a good experience and like more people come in the game. And so like, there's always these trade-offs in play. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned like mixed game crushers. I mean, Melissa Burr's been on the podcast at least once. I th- we have plans of her coming back on again, but like just a super high level mixed game player. And I mean, poker is a mind sport, you know, like poker is right. a game of with your mind. And so like it having this disparity of like 98% males, is just kind of, ridiculous to me yeah uh melissa's very tough <laughs> so she's she can handle herself that's for oh, sure yeah. yeah um let me ask you about this like and this is something that we've talked about on the show before like do you think that poker do you think there's room for poker to be spread and tournaments to be ran like outside of a casino environment and does poker even belong in a casino environment i guess i'll ask that question I'm not sure. I mean, you know that when we run these events, they're, you know, done in, in ballrooms and sometimes they're done separately from what we're doing. We're, we, we always talk about that on the World Poker Tour. Do we need a casino to, to be a partner to actually run an event? And it may not be. It may be something that we can do on our own. And, you know, this is a type of thing that PokerStars has always done. You know, they, they actually run the event. They have the staff, the dealers and all of that. So is it something that, you know, we can do 
the problem is, is, as you know, is the reason why tournaments were created was to have cash games. And that's where the money was at. It's yeah. a little tougher, uh, even though, you know, rake has gone up a lot in tournaments and reentry causes a lot more, uh, you know, rake for the, the casino. I think it's one of those things where you still have an ecosystem where you need uh, cash games to provide uh, enough to, to cover those events. Yeah. I mean, cash games pay the bills. Like the, right. the cash game tables are where the casino makes more money. So yes. I guess, I guess it is hard logistically having a traveling poker tour that can't spread cash games because then yeah. it's just hard to, it's hard to make that work. I think. Yeah. And if you do that, you got to do it outside the United States for the most part, uh, if you're going to do that. And so, you know, you see why events like the PCA pop up and, you know, we had events down in Aruba uh, back in the day. Yeah. So. Um, well, tell me about, you know, one of the talking points you sent me current online landscape don't know much here it's getting tougher to police <laughs> what is that yeah. what, what does that mean to you i i don't know you it just seems like every day i hear something about you know uh not not people being cheated or the random thing or all that but just the people that is becoming tougher to beat people are becoming more uh, skilled at the game there's more programs out there that are that are helping people and i know that our casino partners you know the online uh groups are working diligently to try and stop all that stuff but then you have you know the unregulated card rooms that are popping up and other things that are happening so i just think it's a very tough uh nut to crack and i think that when it does become legally regulated across the united states it's going to be better but at the same time i think the costs go up for the player on that too so i think it's a tough it's a very tough market and i i, I just don't know the future i thought maybe you might have some insight on how that's going <laughs> to how that's oh, going to get better. You, you thought I knew the future. That's interesting. Yes. Matt. Um, <laughs> so being somebody that plays in a totally unregulated market um, and lives with no casino near me, uh, I, I would say there are multiple kind of moving pieces here. And I think regulation is a big part of it. It's sort of the first domino because with regulation comes the ability to punish people more severely for using things like real-time assistance, collusion, cheating, all these sort of online things. Because like currently in an unregulated market, I mean, what are you going to do? Like the, you can ban an account, but then like somebody can just make a new account under a fake name. Like it, it's just like, it's the punishment doesn't really fit the crime in right. this case, which incentivizes, you know, we both know with enough money on the line, enough money in play. I'm sure at the WPT, you guys have like tons of security protocols to... Right prevent like card marking or just any sort of, you know, shenanigans that people might come up with on the fly. So yeah, it's, it's a significant problem. I think the incentive for people to cheat is there. I think one of the, so two things I, I think are, would be helpful. One, I think that like we need more cash game formats. I don't know why cash games haven't really evolved over time, but like we need to not have just fully a hundred big blinds with no antes you know, two big, two big blinds, no annies. We need to have more formats that are more difficult for people to find information and solve in real time. I, I think also, I think the, what I'm concerned about with regulated online poker is that the bureaucracy in place is going to make it very difficult for multiple players to enter the market which is going to mean that some companies will have a monopoly and the more companies that have a monopoly, the less incentivized they are to dedicate larger amounts of resources to end cheating and to also innovate and create games that are different um, with different formats. So I think that like we need a lower barrier to entry to the regulated markets. Um, first and foremost, we need different game selection and we need like real punishments from, you know, the government, like real massive fines that will genuinely bankrupt people or genuinely hurt people that are actively trying to cheat and steal money from other people when, when they're playing online poker. Well, I do think that the companies that are out there, the end of the big ones, you know, the party pokers, the poker stars, and even GG now are doing a lot of things, you know, behind the scenes that I couldn't even figure out if I had to. Uh, to try and stop all that stuff. But with all the other sites out there and everything else that's going on, I just think it's sometimes it's, it, it's impossible to to stop it all. But I know that the, you know, the prize pools are so big and everything is uh, still moving forward. So I'm hoping that we're going to get to that point uh, for sure. And I just really feel like, uh, you know, these companies that are, you know, have marketing budgets and are putting so much money behind this are going to make 
real efforts to try and stop all of that. And you see people, you know, from time to time, you know, very often actually get banned and, and get kicked off. So I feel pretty comfortable about the big sites. I'm just not sure about all the unregulated ones. That's for sure. Well, I mean, there's a specific platform that I won't name that I have a lot of familiarity with. And I know that they've taken like, they're going far and away uh, doing anything possible to like prevent cheating, collusion, real-time assistance. Like they're just trying to stay ahead of it. Um, but it's a, it's a tough game playing catch up and they're, they're investing massive research, like massive amounts of, because like it poses an existential threat to poker, online poker. Sure. If RTA becomes as bad as something like backgammon, right? Like backgammon, right. backgammon dried up overnight because like you just couldn't play because people just had assistance and like you just, there was no edge to be had. And so I think poker is different in that, like, firstly, I think the poker market is way bigger than like backgammon. I think sure. that, I think that, like, when people talk about the ecosystems and all of these things, I like the one thing that kind of sticks in my mind is like, well, you know, people talk about poker ecosystems being like shit and doing whatever you can to protect the poker ecosystem, but like, you know, a casino ecosystem is kind of shit too, right? Like nobody's really winning. Nobody's cashing out a ton of money in the casinos, I right. think on a, on a daily basis. And they seem to be doing okay year, year in and year out. So I think poker will have like, people will make money. They will go play tournaments. They will go play cash games. They will be comfortable losing money. I think that's just going to happen indefinitely. Not worried about live poker. I'm not even really worried about online poker, to be honest. Um, I used to be a lot more concerned. I know Darren Elias voice lots of concerns for like real-time assistance and ai just kind of solving like hunter big blind poker and making it like unplayable within the next five years that's obviously an existential threat and very scary and i think that coming from somebody like darren who is you know just a crusher he's just like yeah. one of the best players in the world it ought to be taken very seriously but i do think that i think that the current solvers and real-time assistance that's available on the market, while it can turn someone into maybe a slight winning player, I don't think they're going to be like crushing the game. So in that sense, I think we're protected as long as there's enough, um, you know, enough recreational players who are still playing. And I, I think that like limiting the amount of tables people can play at, limiting people's ability to like have a seating script where somebody a bad player sits at the table and you just auto join that table and the wait list turns into like 60 players. I think like getting rid of the processes that facilitate that sort of predatory behavior. I think that's also something that has to happen. So yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, what what's kind of sad to me is that like in the early two thousands, you know, innovation was happening at a rapid fire pace. Like people, sites where like there were all these new games like you know ub had a, a seven deuce game like a seven deuce yeah. bounty game and like turbo tables and like i love the seven deuce bounty game and like i started as many of those as i could because it's like a different format right it adds a different element into the game a strategic element that's like you know it's going to be hard to study that right there's not many materials and the more elements you can add like that where there's little information it's just that's that's what's actually good for the long-term health of the game i think I agree. I think that, uh, you know, poker is more than just no limit hold'em. Uh, you know, you see pot limit uh, growing still. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things I, I truly believe. And uh, let me ask you that question. Uh, do you need to know how to play more than just one game to be the best player in the world? Or can you be the best poker player in the world just playing no limit hold'em? No, I think that you need to play multiple games to be the best player in the world. And this is coming from somebody that specialized mostly in no limit hold'em. But I think right. that, like, I also think that there's some carry over to, to understanding poker theoretically at a very high level and being able to play multiple games because you understand like how equities work and just sort of how hand strengths are supposed to be played in a lot of different spots. And like, I, I so I do think that like gaining a high level understanding of Hold'em can set you up to be successful at the other games, especially the games, like I said, that don't have a steep learning curve where lots of people don't play them. And so like when lots of people don't play them, there's not enough information online. Your ability to gain an edge over the, the field is much easier than in a game like Hold'em where, right. you know, everybody knows not to play the Jack Deuce off under the gun these days. Like people like have a, people understand like the critical errors that people make in Hold'em, but maybe they don't maybe notice that in PLO, right? Right. But yeah, I, I couldn't, you know, I, I ran a, 
con- a Twitter contest a few years back called hashtag poker goat, where it's just like a matchup bracketed of players against each other. And I mean, Phil Ivy won just kind of, it wasn't even a sweat. Like he just, demol- <laughs> anybody that he played, he demolished right. I just think that a lot of that is because he's just plays all the games at such a high level that like, you just have to respect that. And you just can't, I, I, I couldn't say that somebody's the best poker player in the world. If they aren't skillful at a wide variety of poker games. Yep. They can be the biggest winner though. That's for sure. They can, <laughs> Brent, they can make the most money. <laughs> Brent Kenny is proving that that's for sure. It's a kind of a, you know, it's, it, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be something that's going to change ever, but you know, I'd like to see it. I'd like to see more mixed games. You know, those are games I like to play. So, yeah, I think it's. What do you think the problem is there that stunts the mixed games, or even like a game like PLO? I think it's basically that the the casinos will put up a hundred thousand dollar guarantee for a no limit hold'em tournament, and they're not going to put up, you know, a twenty thousand guarantee for a mixed game. So people are after the money, you know, naturally. It makes sense. I think it's. It's, it's not something that casinos are fully invested in doing. The cash games that they run in those games, Omaha games, make a lot less than a no-limit game. So I just don't think it's, it's something that anybody's ever going to push for unless it's somebody like me that's working for different casinos and outside of that sphere of, you know, the bottom line, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, there's multiple ways to look at the bottom line, right? And like lots of casinos wouldn't even, didn't even want to have card rooms because like real estate wise, it's kind of dumb to have a card room because right. like <laughs> you can put slot machines in all those spots and like they're going to make way more money than the poker tables. But we, they realized that like there's give and take here and like the poker tables get people in the door and the sure. more people that are in the door, the more people sit down at the slot machine while they're waiting for their table or whatever. And so like they end up making more money. So it's a trade-off. How do we make more money in PLO? Like, how do we, because I assume that the cap, you know, the, the bottleneck is that you play way fewer hands because there's so many cards and everybody's like, it's a giant multi-way game. So like, have there been any innovations? I know they've tried that allow people to like get more hands per hour. Yeah. I mean, the only innovation that we've come up with lately is having Annie's in the game. And I think that that's made a difference. It's made a little difference in the, in the tournament side of things, but uh, I know that people that play it love it. And it really is a different kind of person that plays that game. In my opinion, you know, an amateur player, you really have to be a gambler if you're going to play pot limit, which isn't necessarily true as you would know, but it just seems that way. If people that play pot limit seem to want to gamble a lot more. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you, you can't play the Jack Dewey, but you look down at like the Jack seven, six, four with like a suited seven. Uh, maybe <laughs> this, this is like a hand. This, this hand can, it can, it can make some noise out there. Let's yeah. see what happens. Exactly. Um, so you've been in poker for 30 years, which is a long time, but I was just saying I, I've been in poker for almost 20 years now, which uh-huh. is uh, another sort of like bizarre. I, I, as a teenager, I never thought that I would ever be able to say that, like, I've been doing anything for 20 years. <laughs> the decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Pre-flop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your pre-flop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your pre-flop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash Bootcamp. Available now. Before boot camp, I had been playing for maybe 15 years, somewhat seriously, always trying to get better, jumping from learning program to different learning programs and training site to training site. Kind of feeling a little bit lost, not really knowing how to go about getting better. And preflop boot camp just felt like a great starting point, a way for me to to move from being a losing player to, to possibly a winning player. It felt like the right first step. Once you jumped in boot camp, what was your experience like? Well, first off, I realized that I'd been making a lot of mistakes prior to boot camp, kind of learning what rangers should look like and what hands should be played in what situations. You know, it was it was exciting because I 
I could see what other people had been doing to me, what kind of what I had been missing in my game. And then from there, just the whole camaraderie of everybody that's um, signed up, working together, trying to achieve that goal. You know, that, that was fun. That's uh, pushing each other and really helping uh, one another, kind of feeling like you're a part of a team. It was, uh, it was a great experience. I, I enjoyed the process and I learned a lot. What was your experience like playing cards post bootcamp? It's a totally different experience. You know, it put me in a position to be successful as opposed to always being behind the eight ball and, and playing catch up. Um, I really feel like it's it's the foundation of, of a solid poker game. And uh, since boot camp, I've been able to, to turn a profit and keep building on what I learned there. You know, being able to go back into the group and uh, re really work together even after boot camp was over, it's it's been awesome. What's your sample size of winning post boot camp? I think I have 70,000 hands played by now. You know, I'm a father and I have a job, so I'm not a, a professional player by any means. That's my sample size. Preflop Bootcamp is the flagship Chasing Poker Greatness training program. If you'd like to dramatically upgrade your preflop game, a new bootcamp launches on the last Saturday of every single month, and your link to join is chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp. One more time, that's chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp, all one word, or you can click through in the description box of this episode. But yeah, tell me what has changed over the past, you know, 30 years that you've been involved in the game. What trends have you seen? And then, you know, we'll project out. I'll, I'll ask you to look into your, um, your crystal ball and tell me what's down the pipe. Well, I've come from a place in the Bay Area where it was basically low ball games. And, you know, that game has disappeared. And pan games where that also has disappeared. I don't even uh, know what pan is. Yeah, pan guinea. It's, a, uh, it's an interesting game. But it's pretty slow, and that's why the casinos got rid of it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Limit Hold'em used to be a bigger game than uh, No Limit Hold'em. You know, as, early, as late as probably 1999. Uh, even though that the main event of the World Series was always No Limit Hold'em, uh, and also better for TV and, you know, all of those things. It was it later to, than that, Matt. I think yeah, 2000, yeah. when I got into poker, there was no No Limit Cash. Yeah. Tournaments were No Limit, but Limit was like the only cash game that spread. That's correct. And, you know, so I say that because in 2002, when we started off the World Series of Poker, the first event was Limit Hold'em, right? So it was a 1500 Limit Hold'em, and it was a bigger event than any other event except for the main event. Uh, and so you think about that, that Limit Hold'em, as late as 2002, 2003, was a bigger tournament game than No Limit. So that, to me, is the biggest change uh, of all. I think that people have gotten a lot smarter uh, I think that the game itself has changed when somebody threw in a 2x raise in a, in a tournament. Uh, first time I saw it, I was like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> Nobody was, everybody would look at that guy and say, that guy is a fool. It was always three, four, five x when you came into the pot and uh, look at it now. I mean, it just, it's just something that's completely changed the game. And, and as it turns out is smarter right it's the way that it should be people like you are, are training people to become uh top level pros and there's coaching uh at every level online live and uh, different things and so i think that these you know it's actually making the game more interesting for the people that are want to be professionals uh and you guys are doing a great job of that but i still think that there's a big recreational uh group that still wants to do that you know that the private games and things that happen with that uh, and people getting shut out of games has caused a big stir in the, in the industry. Uh, I think that, you know, when people want to take their games out of a casino and take it home to a home game, it's, uh, you know, it's a problem for the casino. You know, a lot of people that got kicked out of uh, the commerce over the I, years. I mentioned that I got banned from <laughs> commerce. I, I got reinstated, by the way. My lifetime ban was only seven months, but yeah, it, it did. <laughs> Was it for a private game? Was oh, probably, it, it yeah. was tied in because the uh, Max's um, Yasmin, Yasmin was running private games and like okay. heavily, heavily recruiting at Commerce. And like, so Max asked me to be a roommate. Anyway, like yeah. I said, long story, I was her roommate and basically she was aggressively poaching players from Commerce. And, okay. you know, the, 
I don't know if he's the owner, but David at Commerce basically pulled yeah. her into the guard shack and was like, hey, we know what you're doing. And if you give up the people that are like, quote unquote, helping you, then you'll be fine. You know, we, we won't ban you. And so like she just like through said that I was recruiting players and I was sweating. <laughs> I was sweating Max. Like I'm just sweating him. And I see uh, these six security guards out of the corner of my eye. Yeah. Like I've never been in any trouble ever in my life for anything. And I'm <laughs> like, wow, that's weird. I wonder who those that gang of security <laughs> guards is for. And then they they yeah. scooped me. It was me. Like <laughs> I was like, what the hell? And yeah, it was it was a interesting experience. Like I said, right. I, I was shocked. And then I went to the guard shack. They said I was banned for life. They didn't tell me why, or I got no no explanation. And then I just had Jesse Yaganuma on the podcast just earlier right. today. He's one of the people that went up to went to bat for me at Commerce. A right. lot of my friends talked to management and then this dude, Muhammad, who had some juice that I had only played with like two or three. And this is another lesson too about, you know, being engaging and like making the environment fun for people to play. I played with this dude two or three times. I, I couldn't have picked him out of a lineup, but he played with me. He remembered me and he heard what happened and he, he had a personal relationship with David and that's what got me unbanned, you know? Wow. And, and like, yeah, yeah so... People like talk a lot of shit about commerce and the scum there, but like for me, man, th those people went to bat for me, and like I I'm always appreciative and grateful for them. Unfortunately, I've only been back one time <laughs> since I got on band <laughs> like eight years ago. But that's a that's a different story for a different day. Yeah, they yeah, that's people. A lot of people love the grind. My friend David Baker, who I golf with all the time now, just loved it. He loved living at the commerce, uh, as, you know, as you did playing there every day, and it was a, it was seemed like a different time. It's another phase of, of I, I just don't see that as much as you used to, you know, um, obviously with COVID and things going on, uh, it made different people, you know, getting married, having kids, things change over time. So uh, I'd like to see some of that come back. I'd like to see some of the, the grinders come back. And, and uh, that's a big part of the industry that's changed for me as well. Um, but the game's gotten know, worse. Matt, yeah. I've heard yep. that the, the commerce games are like drying up. They barely get yeah. a 1020 running. I mean, when I was there, 1020 was running around the clock. I mean, I could wake up at 5 a.m. and there's a 1020 game going. Like, and right. then at night, there's like four or five of them. And now they're struggling to get like one going, which is, right. I know that they used to pay for food. Like, food used to be totally free. And now you get like a dollar an hour or something. I don't even know what it well, is. People used like, to take big, big advantage of that. I would go down there and see people ordering, you know, 10 trim cocktails and you just see them sitting out there. And people aren't smart enough to figure it out that they see this, they see people wasting all this food and it's going to go away. Yeah. And so, it's, it did. and so it did. It's a shame that people are, uh, I just, yeah, you, you had a good thing. <laughs> why, why, why were we messing with a good thing? Um, right. So uh, <sighs> anyway, I, I do, I do love commerce. Uh, and yeah, that was why I got banned. That was the whole story. And yeah, yeah it, it's con it's counter to the casino's incentive, pulling people outside of the casino. But sure. I mean, I know that lots of places aren't as aggressive about as commerce was about banning people. Like I know when I went and played at Cherokee recently, just like a few months back, I mean, I got invited to two home games while I was like playing just like at the table out in the open and nobody even batted wow. an eye. So are the Vegas games that like, are they aggressively banning people for like, no, I don't think games? so. I, no? I think that, uh, you know, more or less the private games here, are, you know, the ones that people set up and they just go in there with eight people and shut everybody else out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are some private games here in Las Vegas, but it's not nearly as much. And, you know, over time you see or hear people about, you know, people getting scammed at home games or people, uh, you know, they're getting stuck up and stuff like that. It's, I don't know. I always felt comfortable playing in a casino more. And, uh, so <laughs> yes. that's, it's why I feel a lot better about doing that. So I, I would never want to be uh, a part of that, uh, lifestyle of, of the home game because, you know, my wife wouldn't allow it, first of all. <laughs> yes. But, uh, having been to many home games, there are many reasons why that is the case as well. Um, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, see, my experience with poker has just been so different than yours, right? Like, you're in the Bay Area. I'm in, like, Tennessee. You know, I lived in Tennessee forever, and, like, there's no casino. I've never lived in a city that has a casino that I can go to. So, uh -huh. like, really, the option is home games. And... It, given the opportunity to play in a home game or a casino, I think the listener should always choose the casino because, again, there's mechanisms in place to make sure, like, 
or to cut down on cheating. I guess you probably can't just eliminate it outright. There's still potential and all that stuff, but like there's measures in place. People are like collecting the correct amount of rake. I mean, if, if you think that you go to a home game and like the dealer's not like apt to swipe an extra quarter or an extra hundred dollar chip, if you're playing big, you're out of your mind because they're going to do that. Um, you get robbed. I mean, what do you do? You call the cops that your legal home game just got robbed. Right. Like, so that's a risk. Uh, you have to have security, you know, game gets busted, money gets confiscated. That's another risk. Like there's just so many risks that are like, why are we taking these when we have like a legal casino down the road that we can play at? But in the apps, you know, in a vacuum, when you don't have that, you kind of just don't have a choice. You gotta, you gotta live by the, live on the edge. And unfortunately, like I said, I'm somebody like, I want to do all the things in the right way. And yet throughout my life living in this area of gray, I play in these home games. I play on unregulated apps. I play in unregulated markets. Um, I'm like at the bank trying to tell the bank tellers why I'm getting this check from Singapore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I just, I, I've, I feel bad doing all of it. Like it just makes me feel gross. And I wish there was just a streamlined, easy solution where, you know, I just play cards in the open and that's it. Like I yep. pay my taxes, do everything. It's just, everything's cut and dry. Yeah. And I, to me, there, a lot of money has been put into poker rooms around the world and, and around the country. And I think that, you know, they, they, most of them, I can't think of any that really don't really try and do something to protect the players and make sure that the game is clean. You know, there's no smoking, there's no, you know, there's nothing that's really too out of line in any of uh, the poker rooms that I know of that are regulated. So I've always lived in that world. Like you said, you've lived in a completely different world than I have as far as poker games go. So uh, I'm happy that I've been on this side of it, but uh, yeah. I understand it. I, under- <laughs> I understand both sides. That's for sure. And wherever you live too, by the way, there's like 10 home games every single night of the week, like in any wow. city around the country, I would imagine. I mean, yeah. in Chattanooga, I know there was at least two or three every single night of the week. And for, for what it's worth, like, I was only cheated at one home game that I know of for sure and only stiffed at one home game for sure ever. That's a, I still have an outstanding debt. A guy paid me in a car once, which is interesting. <laughs> Not something that happens at the casino. They don't just give you a car at the cashier. Right. Um, but yeah, I think in all that time, I, I only know of one game that got busted. I don't know, really know of many games that got robbed. And I played you know, probably a, over a thousand different sessions at, at these games. So That's great. While, while there is risk, I think that like when you, when you don't have an option, I think that things are way more likely to be weird when you have a, an available option. I think that like a lot of times there's likely drugs involved. There's likely um, women or a party atmosphere type thing that happens when you go outside the casino because that's like right. what those guys are after. Sure, for sure. Um, we, we didn't mention what do you think is like in your crystal ball in the future of poker in well, these last 30 years. Well, I tell you, I just think, you know, us coming out of COVID, there are a lot more people that I had seen that I hadn't seen in a long time. I saw in our first events when we came out uh, of the houses and, and, and these events just were massive. WPT set records uh, down in Florida uh, and uh, in the Venetian, we set another record for our biggest $5,000 event. Uh, so I think people are hungry to get out of the house and go play these events. And uh, I think it's going to be very successful for the casinos that are uh, partners with us. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. I think that if things were different, uh, it would be a massive World Series this year because I think people are ready to go back. Uh, I don't know how those travel restrictions are going to be for them. So I know that they would have a very successful event. Uh, and I think they still will, regardless of uh, the situation we're in. Um, but I, I think we kind of had going to have a renaissance. I think that your business should be picking up as well. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I don't see it as a, a huge negative for the poker industry that, you know, we had some now new found hunger for the game. I just think it's as far as poker goes. Absolutely not. I think it's great. And I, I, I think you're just on point like poker. People are chomping at the bit to go play poker. Yeah. Like people yeah. are just losing their minds. They want to go play live poker right. and I, it's going to be huge for the next year. And, you know, I, this was something like I texted you, you know, we mentioned the, the big tournaments in Florida, right? Like in building my brand and my business, like how, I don't even know, like logistically how to set up like advertising and growth for like poker podcasts and, you know, training services and all of these things. But I know that there's a big opportunity, especially yeah, because sure. people are 
Um, people are ready to get back at it. And when I went to play poker, by the way, like a few months ago, I got absolutely destroyed. My brains got <laughs> beaten out of my skull. But uh, I learned an interesting lesson that, you know, this is a Saturday night at Cherokee Casino in the middle of nowhere in North Carolina. And there are like 25 tables running and like people are just pulling out wads of hundreds. And the PLO game has like, you know, six weak players who are all have six and seven to $10,000 in front of them. And like the games are good. There's a lot of money in this market. There's a lot of people in this market. I think the poker market is like, people don't realize how big it is. And it wasn't until I went to Cherokee and realized like, wow, there are these poker rooms all over the country that are just this full with as much money. Like this is a, a very cash rich environment. And yeah, people are just, people are ready to go play tournaments. They're ready to get, get their competition on, throw some money at it. And some poker rooms haven't reopened. And I think I've always said this for years that we needed some consolidation. There was a time a couple of years ago where you could play a 1k event within literally a hundred miles of your house, pretty much wherever you lived around the country. It just seemed like there was something going on all over the place for you. There was probably, you know, best bet Jacksonville and other places around uh, the country uh, where you could go and just play these events. So the fact that some of these rooms have closed, I think has consolidated the industry a little bit. I still think there's room for international growth. I'm excited about that and the future of it. Uh, Latin America is just going off the hook with poker these days. So uh, there's definitely global room to grow this game. And I think people like you and uh, the World Poker Tour and everybody that's out there trying to actively do that is going to make that happen. So I, I, I think the future is bright for poker. I really do. Yeah, I, I, I right there with you. And say what you want about GG Poker. And, you know, I think that some of the things they've done, I, I wouldn't have done, but it's not my business. So it is what it is. But I think the, the things that they have done that's been very well is sort of use the full tilt playbook and really invest into influencers, whether they be YouTubers or podcasters or poker personalities and build up names and make the game more fun. I mean, this isn't like rocket science here, platforms like poker stars, um, make the game fun and build up personalities, build up people. And people like that. Like it, it right. people always want to see the journey. They want to think that things are possible. Like that the aspiration of being a poker professional is like a real dream and I think that when sites sort of say, ah, fuck the pros, we don't want the pros, all these mm -hmm. things, it, that, that doesn't really do much to facilitate right. chasing the dream. Um, but I think sometimes people are just kind of, or these, especially big businesses, I think are just too far in the forest to see the trees because they're probably businessmen and not really poker players. So they don't fully understand the picture. But like GG, I think has just done an amazing job of just fostering, um, people of influence, building people up and giving people opportunity. You know, that's with chasing poker greatness. I'll tell you like first year of business, I almost quit. I was, I almost gave up like, because people love the podcast and the numbers were growing, but like I made 20 K in profit right. my first year, $20,000. And like, you know, nobody was backing up the brink truck. Nobody wanted to pay me. Nobody wanted <sighs> to sponsor it. And I realized if I want to keep doing this, I've got to do it myself. And that was what led to, you know, the creation of five courses and learning how to like copyright and write and um, sell and just be better at business myself. Because I realized like, I'm not holding my breath. Nobody's sponsoring me. Nobody's giving me money. If I don't do it myself and take responsibility, it's going to all come crashing down. And I just, I think that the powers that be missed that opportunity to back and foster these people that are trying to actively grow the game, but like they got to eat, they got, they have yeah. to be able to pay their way through life. Um, and I, I think that like lots of people are probably not as, um, we'll say like, just, I don't know what the right word is, but like, I'm not somebody that enjoys giving up and I'm going to be tenacious. And like, I don't want to, at the end of the day, if I close down shop, I wanted to at least be able to say that I gave it my all. And I tried as hard as I could, but I think that lots of people will just kind of flame out and they'll just disappear. And like, you want as many evangelists and ambassadors building this game. It's just good for everybody. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's my, I, I just, just think, yeah. yeah, I just feel like there's a certain amount of drive. Like, like I said, I've been in this business for 30 years. 
you know, I really never suffered any burnout. I'm always excited about the next event I'm going to. Uh, that's why it's been disappointing having to postpone or cancel those. And sure. I expressed that to my boss yesterday. <laughs> I said, I just want to get back on the road. And it's something that I never really thought I would end up saying because I was traveling so much. I was on the road six, seven months a year. Uh, you know, I have family. Luckily, they've been able to travel with me quite a bit. And so that's been a good thing. But uh, I am reinvigorated by what's coming up in the future for poker. I really do think it's going to be good. I'm excited about uh, the direction we're going on the World Poker Tour. And there, there's a lot of things that uh, are driving me to want to succeed even more than I already have in my career. Yeah. And you guys did a really great job of building people up, you know, like Esfandiari and Gus Hansen and all those guys like during the boom. I mean, again, this is like, these are people that are recognizable, like in the world right. that are just poker players, right? Like that's, sure. uh, poker is powered by people. And yeah, I think, again, the pandemic kind of gives you an opportunity to like reset and reanalyze like what you value and appreciate what you're doing, I think much more than had it not happened. So there is that silver lining in this pandemic debacle. That is correct. It's also playing a lot of golf. That's, <laughs> that's what's happened to me. <laughs> you, you mentioned, uh, so I, I never got a chance to meet Lane Flack, mm -hmm. but Lane Flack's passing recently. Um, tell me, got any Lane Flack stories that you'd like to share? Yeah, Lane was, uh, he was just always lit up the room whenever he was in it. He as a guy that in 2002, I, I said this, we had a, a memorial from the other day, which I hosted uh, at a local bar here in Las Vegas. But uh, he was the sharpest player at No Limit Hold'em that I had ever seen in the early 2000s. He just was whip smart, had a, had a, a one-liner for everything, uh, was able to keep those recreational players happy and laughing, even if you were losing a pot to him, uh, yet was a, was a winner. He was just a winner uh, at the game. Uh, there's a, a good story. I think Daniel told it uh, a few weeks ago where he said, uh, a guy came up to him and goes, I heard you're Lane Flack. I heard you have six bracelets, but you won them back when it was easy to win bracelets. And Lane said, yeah, that's right. That's why everybody has six bracelets. <laughs> <laughs> so he always was so quick to come back and, you know, put people into their place. Uh, he always protected the dealers, which is, is another part of the game, which I Absolutely. think he probably did as well. Yep. Uh, he protected the dealers. He protected the new players. He was just, he had that in him. And, and you know, you always, I, I knew him when he was, was low in the low points of his life. And I, I saw him when he was at his highest points in life. And so uh, he was a big, big loss, like Mike Sex and Gavin Smith, those people uh, to the industry, just, you know, we're losing some legends and it's sad, uh, but you know, I'm getting to an age where you're going to start to see more of that. So uh, I really want to plant my legacy in life. And I think the people like Lane have done so uh, Mike Sexton and, and everything. And I just think that, you know, poker wouldn't be the same without a guy like Lane Flack. That's the last thing I could say about that. Yeah. Chip Reese too, you know, Chip, Chip Reese. Yeah. Lost Chip Reese way too soon. Yeah. Um, we were working on a big project, Chip Reese and I, you know, days before he passed away we were going to run a big uh like events uh, at the venetian to, that people have forgotten about it's we had drafts we had a teams we had everything it was supposed to be like the next big thing and then black friday happened right around that same time and it was uh, unfortunate that we lost all of that momentum and you know it could have been something but you know w there's been so many projects and things pitched to me over the years you wouldn't believe it <laughs> I would believe it. What's, like, <laughs> what's one of the more absurd projects that's been pitched to you over the years? You, you opened the, the door there for me. I opened the door for you. Uh, you know, we had, when online was at its peak, we did a show called Speed Poker, and a company called Mansion Poker put $28 million into building a studio uh, where we filmed these shows for Speed Poker. It was kind of like the highlight of my career because I made a lot of money doing it. <laughs> but at the same time, it was pretty absurd, you know, them putting that much money into it. But, you know, we were lucky in those days that there was just a ton of money being infused to the game. And I think it's still carrying us to this day. I really do. I think that the early days of online poker and the fact that online poker is still there and it's as big as it is, uh, it's a big support system for our game. So I'm, 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 I'm hopeful that uh, all the online issues will be sorted out and uh, that we can coexist with cash games and live tournaments and live poker and home games. And I really think in the end, uh, just growing the game globally and uh, all the things that we're doing right now are, are what's going to be positive for the game going forward. 
Yeah, and removing the obstacles in place too. Like yep. the make unleashing the floodgates and allowing like poker to be advertised on like ESPN again, you know, these yep. advertising channels and like uh, I've said it many times on the show and I think I'm just like in my doing my old man thing, but like man, in party poker, Mike Sexton obviously very instrumental in the growth, the early growth of party poker. Like they had a 200 K every night of the week, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 200 buy-in 200 K guaranteed. And they hit it day in and day out every single day in 2005. And like, that's what happens when, um, the market is unimpeded by the powers that be like, that was what led to the direct growth. Probably, um, help facilitate, you know, the explosion of the WPT too. Like I'm sure yeah. that you guys got smashed as much as anybody else during the Black Friday debacle in UIGEA. Yeah, yeah. Mike Sexton was a visionary in the game. I mean, he really was. He didn't know a damn thing about technical stuff. <laughs> he went to India. He had no idea what was going on. Well, you gave he, me his email address once, and it uh, to reach out on. It was like something at AOL.com. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. And he was uh, just, he ate a hamburger every day over in India, wouldn't touch anything else. <laughs> hamburger, And he couldn't find a hamburger because we don't <laughs> eat beef over in India. So he, yeah, he really didn't understand uh, the, you know, the technical side of it, but he was a visionary and people like him and Linda Johnson, you know, the ambassadors of the game and you need to have Linda on your show, by the way, she would be great. We'll make sure we'll set make, that make up. the connection. Matt. Oh yeah. I, I don't, not I don't a, know. Not a problem. To, yeah. Not a problem. She's got so many great stories, but she's uh, another person that when they pushed uh, the World Poker Tour, Mike was pushing Party Poker. Linda was an affiliate for Party Poker and built, you know, that whole network of Party Poker. Really, I mean, it, it probably wouldn't be around today if it wasn't for those two. So I do think that, uh, you know, like I said, there's a lot of people in this in this world of ours that uh, are ambassadors. I think you're becoming one yourself these days. So I really appreciate what you're doing. I know we're going to be working on some stuff coming up, and uh, I hope it's going to be great. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm doing the best that I can. I'm trying to <laughs> I'm finding my way as <laughs> as a content creator and like a business person that's separate from like playing poker because holy shit, like running a business is like way more mentally draining and way more of a struggle than playing poker has ever been in my life. Yeah. You have a scheduler, you have an assistant. I like that. You know, you're using things that nobody else uses. You're ahead of your game. Yeah. I have an assistant. I have a scheduler <laughs> and she's putting in 50 hour weeks, which like, wow, let's amazing. go back a, a year before I had her. And like, I was responsible for, for doing all that shit. Um, we'll close out by talking about the Texas poker scene because you mentioned that. And I think that's actually a good example of uh, poker that's being spread outside of a casino, sort of isolated from the casino environment. What are your thoughts on this boom in Texas? It's amazing. I don't know if you had a chance to go down there yet. Uh, you know, obviously, everything's going crazy down there, you know, COVID-wise and poker-wise but they don't seem to care because it is, it's off the hook. It's really kind of crazy how, how busy that those poker rooms are. And now when we run these events in Florida, in Choctaw, which is close and all over the country, you're seeing many more poker players come out of that area. So I think really it's going to create another boom for the United States for tournament poker. Uh, I don't know what the situation is with the regulations and how long it's going to be legal there or how legal it is. Um, <laughs> But these private clubs are doing amazing stuff down there. So I, I, I think it is actually helping poker uh, in a great way because, again, we're developing so many new poker players that are coming out. And if you look at the leaderboards on these poker terms that are coming up, a lot of those guys are from Texas. A lot of those people are people we haven't seen before. So I think anything you can do to try to grow the game uh, like they're doing down there, uh, it's positive for the game. Johnny Chan has his own room down there. My friend Justin Hammer, uh, they just had a, a poker awards for the Gulf Coast. I don't know. Is it land on the Gulf Coast? I don't even know. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. They just had an award uh, that my friend Justin won, but uh, it's, yeah, I think, you know, there's still a lot of things out there that are happening that are growing the game and uh, I'm excited to be a part of it. I just, I, I've, I've enjoyed this career. I've enjoyed my life. Uh, I've met so many great people through the game. Um, I wouldn't change a thing uh, at all. I really, I'm lucky to be where I am, met my wife through poker, met, you know, had a 
great kids through poker. So it's uh, it's it's been it's been a great life. I'm uh, I'm excited about it, and I'm excited about the future. Yeah, it's a great example of what happens when you kind of let the floodgates go, and like Texas, just there was this demand, this built up demand that has just been sitting there and probably playing in like home games over the years. And then I think the lawyers, I read a long article about the Texas boom and the lawyers have looked through it pretty, pretty well at, by, at this point. And like, it's, it's legal for now. I don't know, like if a law changes, how much that would impact things. Or like, if, if anybody listening to this is like an owner of a Texas card room, like start paying lobbyists, (laughs) start paying people to like act on your behalf to make sure that things keep going your way legally. Um, but yeah, it's just a great example of what can happen when there's this pent up demand and you're able to kind of grow the game. Like can WPT facilitate, like, can you, could you run a series in Texas? Like are any of the rooms big enough? We have had one already down there a while ago, a few years ago. Um, and we looking into it. Uh, we have discussions with the poker rooms down there quite a bit. Uh, not quite big enough yet, but that doesn't mean it, it couldn't be some kind of event that we do, you know, maybe a deep stacks event, uh, and, uh, I really feel like it'd be a huge success. I, I mean, there's no doubt about that. Why, why don't you just retire, Matt, just start your own poker room in Texas. And, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I've had offers to take over poker rooms, uh, but I just love doing what I do. I love traveling. I love, uh, being with people. I love the big events and, uh, the big prize pools and, you know, the fact that WPT has been so good to me, I, I feel kind of loyal to, to, to that and, uh, the, the product. So, uh, you know, I've got a lot of friends there, you know, Adam Pliska and Angelica, the, my bosses uh, have taken good care of me over the years. So there's a loyalty there uh, to that organization. And so I think I'm going to stay and, and keep doing that and uh, hopefully try to ex- expand the game globally through the World Poker Tour and my new upcoming project, which we'll talk about soon. Yeah. On show number, on show number four. Show number four, we'll <laughs> talk about the project when we can talk about it. Um, yes. What's well, good, man? I mean, it's always good to enjoy what you do so much that it creates loyalty. That means that like you're doing something that resonates with you, that's authentic, and like doing something else that you may not love so much, even if it might be more lucrative or whatever, um, it is a giant risk, a giant gamble. And like, if it ain't broke, then don't try to fix it. And right. uh, we love you traveling yeah. the world, spreading the game, trying to grow the game, everything that you do. I'm personally very appreciative for yeah. all like the logistical hard work that I know goes into it, all of the the pain and the suffering and like all of the time that nobody recognizes or nobody's even aware of that I know must exist for yeah. these events to go off. Very grateful and appreciative. Thank you as always for your time and your energy. And we'll talk soon. Thanks, Brad. I look forward to seeing you out in the real world soon. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast. Thank you.